welcome to Your Property Podcast. My name is Michelle Cairns and today is the 3rd of September 2020 and with us we have got Karen Sutton-Johal. Hi Karen, welcome to the podcast. Michelle, thanks ever so much for inviting me on here. Well, we have got a really interesting topic to talk about today, something that's a bit different than our usual topics, and it's all about the mindset um, and how mindset around money affects how, well, everything, I guess, but obviously we're here to talk about property and investing. So do you want to give us a, an overview about how did you get to do what you do now and your background in money and property? Okay. Oh, thank you so much for this opportunity. And yes, I mean, this is... It, it's an obsession of mine, money mindset, really. And it started, I, I suppose, in my early childhood. My dad came from one of the richest families in Ireland. And my mum came from grinding poverty in County Limerick. And when they got together, and I started to see that the different sides of my family really, really had totally different attitudes and ways around money and I could even see this as a very small kid and what was fascinating about it was when I was about seven my dad's business collapsed and seeing how people from a much poorer background dealt with financial calamity and how the other side of my family who were used to things going wrong and making it come right again they just dealt really really differently with financial calamity and it did make me think there's something different happening and then when I was older after I had Maeve my daughter I decided right I'm going to come out of corporate and I'd set up a property business but I also wanted to become a debt advisor I think in some sort of reliving my childhood trauma thing to help people not go through what happened when my dad's business collapsed and as I went out and I was doing the debt advice and I became a debt advisor, I started to notice, do you know, they keep on getting back into debt. And the, the real crunch time came for me. It was in 2008 and there was this chap in Derby, this elderly man, and he phoned me up and he was crying on the phone. And when I went to the house, both he and his wife were both in floods of tears, really, really scared because the people to whom they owed money were really hassling them. She was 75 and he was, he was 76, I remember, and she was 75 and their home was already out on an equity release scheme. So they didn't have any assets and they owed, they owed a well-known bank 12 grand. They had a string of other debts as well. So I thought, oh, do you know, I got all the papers out, sorted everything, did a bit of negotiating, got it all sorted and I went off delighted with myself thinking I'd done some great work and then their daughter asked me for help and their son did and one of their cousins and Michelle I must really be that bright you know because I wasn't even then seeing a pattern and I thought okay um that's brilliant I've helped them and about six months later he phoned me up and he said look Karen I've got myself back into a bit of debt again but I knew you'd sort it and honestly, I was, you couldn't imagine being the Irish woman now. I nearly swore at him down the phone and I had to stop myself. And I was really cross. And afterwards I thought, that's my baggage. They're being really cross with this guy because from, from trauma when I was a kid around money, this is the way they understand how to do money. And I started to look at it with all my clients. Actually, they don't understand you can do anything different with money. And we went out and we did a good bit of research when I was in corporate, my master's degree was in um, 
competency and capability development. So I started to examine very deeply the capabilities financially that make you really, really very, very good, that make you average and make you way below average. And when I was working, I had done work like that with the stock exchange and all different places, those analytical techniques. And I thought, right, so there's an in-debt money mindset and a not in-debt money mindset. But when I actually dug into it much deeper, there are four completely separate money mindsets. So there is a mindset to be in debt and lots of people have that money mindset. There is one to break even, there is one to be comfortable and there is one to be rich. And they're actually really different. And the financial behaviours in each one of them are hugely, hugely different. Like I use it a lot in my property business for when I'm deciding whether to take a tenant on or not. Because we use them so much that I can see, I can even hear it from the way somebody speaks. So when you speak to a tenant, what sort of questions do you so ask? To I ask them things like, um, so when your money comes in, what normally happens to it? And often an in-debt person will say, well, lots of it goes to pay off, isn't it? Half it's gone by the time it comes in or whatever. And as much as even asking them stuff like that, we always ask for bank statements because you can see the patterns, they just jump out at you. So if somebody has an in-debt money mindset, what you will see is as soon as the money comes in, a big portion of it will be sucked out and then they'll spend the rest, yeah? yeah? If they have a break-even money mindset, they'll pay their commitments first and then they'll spend the rest. But they never seem to really have any savings much. And if you see a comfortable money mindset, they will save first and it's normally automated. Right. And then they'll, they'll spend the rest. And if they have a rich money mindset, they'll, they'll leverage the money. And that's the first thing you start to see. And they're just so distinctively different. And like we find tenants with a break-even money mindset are fabulous. They'll always pay their rent. Um, comfortable money mindset is the same. Although I have found like we have two different types of property. We have some um, social sort of property where we have people on universal credit. So getting a break-even person there is very important. And with some of our other more professional, nice high-end houses, often if you have somebody with a comfortable money mindset, you know they will save up enough to buy their own house within the next couple (laughs) of years. So you're going to have to redecorate the whole place. But it is so funny because the the behaviours are so predictable. And do you find that there is enough tenants there that have got that break-even mindset? Because I would imagine that because obviously it's not taught in schools and people just, they, you know, they come into the world without those skill sets, unless they've been taught by people in their environment. Um, I don't know. To me, it seems like the majority of people struggle with managing their finances you know it's absolutely right and i must say we are really really careful at screening tenants um what i do find is that often people who have the break-even money mindset have like they're in an older demographic so we actually when i think about it have an awful lot of pensioners right okay and older people because and they use phrases like my granny used to do the same thing would say like oh neither a borrower nor a lender be you can (laughs) hear the sort of phrases um and you see if you do take on somebody with an in-debt money mindset sooner or later your rent 
will become something that they just something bad has happened and I couldn't I couldn't afford it. Whereas if you've got somebody with a comfortable or a, or a break-even money mindset, they will prioritise paying your rent. And it's just, it's like it's wound in. Yeah, like people are wired that way from their just childhood experiences. But, you, you know, it's it's how they've learned and I guess they can relearn um, yeah. with the right guidance and knowledge. So how do people, let's say for somebody who is in a, you know, that they are in that mindset of the debt mindset and they just struggle to, you know, work their way out of it or, or yeah. manage their way out of it. What do people do differently to make that shift? Do you know, it's, it, it's, it's so interesting. When I started working as a debt advisor, one of the things I noticed was that the conventional sort of debt counselling solutions that you get now almost seem to make the problems worse because they tackle the symptom and not the problem. You know the way you often think, oh my goodness, the NHS, if they did more to tackle some of the underlying issues rather than just give medications for something that you know tackle the root cause and money's identical i used to do um some debt advice work for citizens advice and i was one of the frontline debt advisors who would come in and screen people as to the type of debts they had and there were some really really experienced debt advisors and they would come down and they'd say i can't do this job anymore karen because this is the same people with the same debt over and over again. And they used to describe it like a revolving door. And I would look at this and I would think, right, what's happening? There's something, something's not right. Yes, they're just sorting out the problem, like making the debts go away, just seemed to open up the space for them to get back into debt again. And I started off, myself and Joe work together when we do our money mindset coaching and training courses. We started off by doing you know teaching people the knowledge and understanding they needed and we start with this this isn't working you you teach them you tell them look you've got to put this into this account and this into this and put aside this they will do it for two or three months and then they'll stop and they'll fall off the wagon and it'll all go back and we start to see there's more to it um and about four years ago i started training as a trauma therapist and not because I'm wanting to work as a therapist, even though I have some therapy clients to keep my qualifications going and all of that. Um, but to look at like, why do people who are actually bright people and good people, and you wouldn't judge people in a million years about it, why do they make the most stupid financial decisions? And it's, it's got to do with really, I mean, it's a strange phrase, but childhood trauma. But, but I don't think a trauma in the way of, oh, well, you were locked in a cupboard, so now, or some, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's actually any kind of thing. And as a kid, you could interpret something in a way that, like you were, you were viewing a thing as a little child does. Yeah. So there could have been an argument about money. There could have, do you know what I mean? Any yeah. kind of thing. Your dad could have lost his job. Um, somebody gave you a smaller present than your brother. It, yeah. You know, any yeah. kind of things like that. But what is very interesting is we all have a way of responding to stress. And for anyone here listening to this, this is, this is actually fascinating if you start to track this in yourself. Um, when we get stressed, we all have a default position where you tend to become a bit anxious and it might get a bit more and then you run away. It's like a flight response. Yeah. Or 
you get a bit irritated and then you get crosser and crosser and then it goes into like full-blown anger and up into rage but it's the real fight response or some people they have a freeze response they disassociate and an awful lot of the work I do looks in depth that like what's that like teaching somebody to recognize when they're doing this because the way you do this is the way you do everything in your life the way you do money is the way you do everything so that if you have a tenant or even in yourself it's not just a customer or something like that who you and because i'm so used to it and i've had so much training i can see somebody's responses we think crikey if there's any problem you'll avoid me do you know what I mean? You'll go into witness protection and I'll never see you again. Or you rear up on me if I can see the anger response. And you can see it quite subtly. And what used to happen, I used to see in um, Citizens Advice as well, was people who'd come in the olden days with like bags, envelopes full of stuff they haven't opened. And that was, they're actually disassociating. Yeah. And it really is a thing about dealing with your own responses as well, as in how do you properly deal with people so that you don't actually exacerbate the situation but that you bring them into their window of tolerance where they can probably deal with you on a better level mm. but that's important for teaching somebody how they do money better because often we fall off the wagon and do the silly money thing when we're stressed so you go spending because or you give your money away to somebody you know a, a child telling you you have to do this that or the other this is what happens in our house anyway and you could get stressed enough and just go down the flight response and say okay just have it yeah. or you know or something like that and you can see it then destroys your finances such a big topic to be honest I don't even know where to where to segue to now I mean it, it's it just it obviously impacts everything and um in terms of property you've got people who are um they are great with numbers and that yeah. kind of investment mindset where they are just it's all about the numbers and if the numbers add up they'll do it and then i see there's there's other people who are all about the creative side and it's all about what they can create and less so on the numbers um i don't know whether do you see in in, in property and investing different styles of how successful people are, I suppose, in terms of the risks they take, because yeah. obviously we all know of people in the industry who it, things have gone wrong. And, and sometimes you can see it, it hasn't really been, um, sometimes it's outside influences and sometimes it's bad decisions and sometimes it's integrity. There's a lot going on there, isn't there, with um, how people choose to invest their money? It's absolutely right. And I mean, some of the thing that happens is like when we work with people because i'm trying to there's a lot in that there there are four key indicators we have found for financial success <clears throat> and the first one is the numbers and we always look at people's numbers with them because very often people have all kinds of number blindness yeah. and i think again that's rooted in things that have happened at school very often it's stuff like that but also some people tend to see a number as a snapshot and they don't see them as a flow right. and things like that. So there can be issues around how people see numbers and, and, and relate to numbers. But the next bit of it is there's, there are actually five key money skills and we're taught two of these and badly in our schools. But the five key skills are 
of course, there's managing money. There's the ability to save money. There's spending money properly. There's giving money effectively, and there's creating money. And often that's, a, that's not taught in schools at all. So some people understand that very well. And some people don't understand it very well, or they have number blindnesses and they are sometimes led to invest in things that if they understood the skill of creating money, you know, and it was broken down for them and they absolutely understood how to track the flow and, or, and what it means, I don't think they would, they would, um, would have those difficulties. Do you think they would choose, so you know, like the people you talked about who were in debt, you help them out and then they're in debt again. Yeah. Do you think that the skill is enough? So if people learn what to do, that will help their behaviour because I see it as the two different things. Some people, for example, they smoke or drink or whatever, they know that it's not good for them and they still go on and do it. So it's not really, is it a case of just understanding what to do or is that kind of compulsion? Do you need to deal with that? And if so, how do you deal with that? And that's just, just a fabulous, fabulous question. It's absolutely the heart of it because you have to teach somebody the skill. Um, because it's, it's almost like if somebody said, look, you've got all the personal and behavioral attributes to drive a car, so you don't need to learn. You're grand, just head off and you'll be fine, you'll, you know, and all of that. You have to learn the skill. But the underlying behavioral bit is hugely important as well, because unless you have an actual awareness of what you're like deep down and what could lead you to make this kind of a decision or that kind of a decision. And unless you dig deep and have awareness of what are my preferences here? So I'm inclined to be like this. And then you've been taught to have some range. Like I can either do this now, but that's not going to get me the result I need. Actually, maybe I need to do this or maybe even something else. And that you have range. So in that, that, what I'm picking up there is the um, Stephen Covey with the gap between the stimulus and the response. So it's really uh, what I'm hearing from you is you can have the skill, but it's the choice. It's the thinking before you act and weighing up. Okay. This is what I want. That short-term gratification versus long-term doing what's right. Do you know, perfection and remembering that. And this is the thing that my trauma therapy training taught me. And it was phenomenal was, that the gap is what's in there is very deep. It's very deep. And I wish now when I had started to look at mindset, which I have been doing for so, so long, I had understood that it's, it's a body set. It's like it's in your whole physiology. Mm. Yeah. So you know the way this thing between the gap and the choice, it's the awareness of I'm feeling this the panic is rising if that's the sort of where you are or the irritation is or that you can recognize that you're starting to zone out or that you can spot it in somebody else. It takes quite a bit of work. You know, the way when you read the Stephen Covey thing, you think, oh yeah, that's grand. There's a gap. I'll sort that. (laughs) Actually, if you're making poor decisions financially, there's something quite a bit going in there and it's deep. And and that bit's, generally switched off the frontal cortex where it's you're making those decisions you just you're in the emotional um zone and you know you're you're acting emotionally 
so there's the, there's that part where you're actually making those decisions in the moment it's it's really difficult when you think of you know there are just so many people who I suppose they're just th- thinking short term is that it and you know some of it is is that like it's it's and I've learned over the years but never judge a human being on what they're doing and really what they are is they're ingrained patterns that you learn so even the way you're sitting whether you're sitting facing towards me or back if you explored into it it means something yeah about the way you take in information and things from the world it's just it's it, it is a a fascinating thing and um i'm trying to even think now while i was saying it. <laughs> no one gets so into it but but for people to learn a level of self-awareness why am i doing what i'm doing like this has gone wrong these things have happened again in terms of finances or or anything like that what has actually happened and they're trying to track what's happening for themselves and very often it starts with your body it's can you feel what's happening? Because very often somebody you'll feel, I don't know, a tightness in your chest or people say they feel something in their throat or often people say, I had a gut feel that wasn't the right tenant. Mm. But they didn't know how to listen to the gut feel because sometimes it's telling you this is the right person or sometimes it's something from childhood that you are not recognizing danger when you should. And it's learning to recognize how much do you deal with, or you know, somebody comes to you and says, listen, I'm struggling with, with debt and I'd like to sort it out. They have a level of an awareness yeah. where they understand what's going on, at least intellectually. So what, you know, how much time do you sort of spend on what has happened in the past versus, uh, I suppose, why they want it to be different and why they want their life to be different and the actual skill set? It's about half and half. Okay. And it depends on what's happening for the person. And it, people are so unique. But they, you know, they might say, okay, they want this and they want these 10 things. And we look at this and we start to work towards it. And then you can see from them, they're, they're struggling to make this happen. And they'll come back on the next session and they won't have been able to make it happen. And it's about then going into, okay, so something is blocking you. What's blocking you? Because, yeah, we look at the, um, as I was saying, the numbers and the five key skills. But then we have a big chunk of it that is the blocks and the blind spots. Mm -hmm. And that is the going in and helping somebody just to try to track what's happening. Where they don't see. And and to try to bring it into their awareness. Because until somebody can track it for themselves, and that's all we're teaching them to do really in a way, is track your own nervous system. How much of it do you think is it the problem of not being aware that they have a problem? They're aware of they're uncomfortable. Yeah, huge. I think it's a, it's a problem for all of us, for all of our mindsets, because we think that what we experience is reality and it's not. And th- this is the thing where what is going on for us is creating our own reality. And until we can co- become aware of it and what it really means it's, it's very, very hard to change it. So the outcomes keep on being the same for the person, which then confirms the narrative they have about why life is like that, why they never have enough money, why they had to borrow more money, why they couldn't pay this. Mm. I mean, they're not doing it for badness. 
people are doing because they genuinely believe that it can't be any other way. And do you think that is a subconscious? I I get what you're saying that people believe that way, and it's not a very helpful way to believe. It's it it puts that person in that victim mentality where they they they're helpless. They don't they can't do anything about it. Yeah. It absolutely does. And that's why I often, I really, really feel, I wish the kind of help we gave people actually dealt with how people learn things that don't help them. Mm-hmm. So in the schools, if we did something about teaching kids to, you know, a bit more into the self-awareness and recognize that they have more, much more choices, but it is about awareness and that I might be feeling and experiencing this, but the guy next to me is feeling and experiencing something hugely different. It would also make a massive difference to how well we were able to get on with each other, how well we could create, because to create really well, you need to be able to partner with people. But if you keep creating a reality where you either get really anxious and you can't engage, or you're getting angry, you, do you know what I mean? It always, you, people in the end, they say things like, oh, there's no point partnering with somebody, or there's no point this. It's always this and that. But it is. And if you keep staying in there, it always will be. And it's the same with the debt advice and things like that. I wish when they do put loads of funding into these things, that they would actually fund something to help the people who get into the worst types of debts to genuinely have a bit more choice in their lives. Because their lives are miserable. The people who used to come into citizens' advice, it was heartbreaking to see people who, they, they are victims and they utterly, utterly believe every bit of it. And they couldn't see a way out. And unless they were taught how to regulate their behaviour, you know, with their feelings a bit more and their emotions, and mm-hmm. then learn to make better financial decisions, they were just, they were on that merry-go-round forever. What do you say to people like that who are, they're so overwhelmed, they don't believe it's possible that they can sort the situation out. Um, yeah. What do you say to them? Do you know the interesting thing? And this is, again, what my training has taught me. The first thing, I think, with people when they're overwhelmed like that or they feel anything is for people to totally slow down. Slow down as much as you can. And when you're even working with somebody like this and this could be a customer of yours now or anything or a tenant the person has to feel safe because this is at the basis of what makes people become stressed they don't feel safe on one level or another and to slowly try to get them to be aware of what's happening to them and help them once people can recognize okay I'm starting to get scared, I'm starting to get irritated, or I'm starting to zone out, or any of those things. They actually, that's where you have a little bit of choice. But if you don't even realize you're scared, and of course, as soon as you see people when they get into the stress response, their hearing changes. You think you've said something to somebody and they've understood it, and you may well have said it. They haven't actually taken it on board. Mm. They can't even hear it. Their vision narrows. the breathing changes. The funny thing is, it probably happens to you as well when you're dealing with them. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously at the moment with everything that's going on with COVID-19 and the impact that that is having and will continue to have, there is, I think, for many people, obviously there's, there's, there's people who've already lost their jobs 
That's right. And for people who are still on furlough and anxiety around, is there still a job there when furlough, um, you know, ends? So even if I suppose people have got, a, like you say, a comfortable mindset about around money, yeah, changing, they might be made unemployed for the first time in their life. The you know this sort of collective anxiety as well. That's right. So what is your advice to people who either, I suppose the people who are in that kind of anxious stage of they're not sure what's going to happen next and really they're predicting the chances are they're not going to have a job in the next month or so. It's, it's all about being honest with how you feel with yourself, isn't it? Not to, and it is an easy thing to do, not to try to just blank it out and ignore it. And that's, that's anyone not just business people, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But I must say, when I think of my clients or our tenants, it's, it's the same thing. It's about slowing right down and being honest with yourself as a landlord, how you feel about it, like how is your giving, how is this, you know, are you getting frightened yourself or are you getting cross or whatever it is? Mm -hmm. Stay in a really resourceful place yourself. And then when you're dealing with people who are equally triggered into places. How do you keep them feeling safe? To say, look, we just need to chat honestly, you know, really openly and honestly about what's genuinely happening with your money. What could we do here and there? And that, that's the sort of thing we do. And we have very, very good results with making sure it always works out with our tenants. Um, because if you can honestly figure out what's happening, and nobody's in such a bad place. If there is a possibility of getting a plan together that will work, you can make it work. And then if there's not, you have to deal with that as well. Whereas very often what I see happening is, um, we'll say when people are in small businesses or landlords and they're very worried and frightened themselves about their finances, they tend to step into the space with their customers or their tenants and make the situation worse. And then tenants are frightened anyway as well. And then they become heightened and make the situation worse. When it's about understanding how to have really good, honest conversations. I don't know if that yeah. makes any sense. <laughs> but it's worked. It, it really has worked for us practically in the work we do. I mean, sometimes you can't make a bad situation better and you can't save a situation or something. But sometimes... If you can both get there from a healthy perspective, you actually can. And what if it is that situation for somebody listening who it's the bad situation and they can't see how it can be made better mm. and really they're at a loss? Yeah. How do they deal with that? That might be their business closing down. That might be a property deal that's gone under. It might be their partner that's lost a job and the right. household income's now not there or in a few weeks it's not there so obviously you mentioned about slowing down and it being okay to I suppose feel whatever it is they feel Michelle that's a hundred percent right in truth you kind of have to because we so often just think no no I'll just you know use whatever my normal pattern for getting into denial or distracting <laughs> I'll head off and I'll do x or I'll do y or I'll have a drink or do whatever like it is very, very important to actually feel into the problem a bit when you can and think, okay, this is, this is horrible. This is crap. Anyone who's been through a business loss or anything or, or any kind of big loss like that, 
it is so hard to deal with. And you know what? To be in a bad place and to be dealing with crap is okay. That's okay. These things happen in life. And it's all about then understanding when you slow down enough and you get perspectives about how you are and what would work best for you coming back out the other side of it. Yeah. And I suppose practically or even emotionally, what does that look like on the other side, getting yourself through it? Because I think, it, you know, people get so stuck in that. They think that situation is permanent. They can't see past the the chaos of it all. You know, they might have not just bills and, um, you know, the banks to pay, but they might have investors and have family dependent on them so how you know what what's the next stage from okay you slow down you you accept the situation you accept how you feel and then what practically can they do to to sort of empower themselves i suppose yeah and have hope that's absolutely right and i think it would be a case of get some help um if you need debt advice type of help be a business help or anything like that get some help but also, I think things that also help your perspective a bit, like some mindfulness, that's what I think, but something to keep you from going off in the same direction as you were. And it's the not feeling that you have to, auto, you know, this second, get out and make it all happen again and everything. But it's the gradually pick up the pieces and see what the right direction to go in is. Make sure that you reach out to other people, your other investors that might be going through the same stuff as you. You know what I mean? Your, 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 your tribe, the people you know, um, to get yourself back out into the real world. Doing it's really hard, isn't it? Because, you know, for a lot of people, they're conditioned to not talk about money, that it's uncomfortable. Um, I think in the property world, we are more used to talking about figures and numbers and um, and deals and when things go wrong. I know. And the shame. People yeah. carry huge shame around money. It's, it's a shocking thing. And people, I know because people come up here to work with us and they talk really honestly about their money. And normally people would prefer to talk about their own sexual deviance. <laughs> honestly then they would want to talk about money and I remember a time we had this fantastic guy with us and we were saying look we're going to have to put the figures on a spreadsheet you know we have to look at this and he was trying to hide the screen like that he was trying to do everything and it was and he wasn't he wasn't there wasn't a shred of dishonesty in this man's body he was not like that he was just torn to bits with shame it just linked his the numbers on the page to his self-worth that's right and we see i mean we have clients from all over we have some very high profile clients who anyone and everyone goes through this stuff people lie they just don't tell each other the truth about their finances so many people you see the kind of thing where i'm standing in front of my fancy car with the fancy suit and all of that hope for your sake that that's real yeah because loads of our clients and particularly in three or four years ago over half of our clients had lost north of 50k each to all sorts of get rich quick schemes and things because they were desperate they wanted help Mm. and again the trauma thing can lead people to 
accept help in an area that's not safe. Okay. Um, so what about you then? <laughs> what about you? So you've got a property portfolio. That's and right, yeah. tell us how you've applied what you know and what you've learned to maximise your, uh, your portfolio. And how have your decisions changed since what you've learned? Oh, wow. That's a, that's, a, that's a fab question. And my decisions have changed a lot, you know, over time since, since applying what I've learned. Um, I mean, the first thing I would say about having the property portfolio is I am so grateful for it. It is one of the best things I ever did myself and my husband in terms of business. Because I had my daughter when I was 42. And it allowed me. I really didn't want to be out working in corporate all the time. I wanted to be there for her. And it allowed me to do that. So it was phenomenal. But I must say, when we started it off, which was a long time ago now, about 16 years ago, um, we didn't really know what we were doing. And... We learned as we went along. But a huge amount of the stuff we learned were things like it's a people business and you're dealing with people to make sure that you get the flow of money forward. Because in any business, you are providing a product and you're wanting to be paid for the product properly. Um, so this thing about the money mindsets was hugely important So being able to hear somebody and make sure we didn't have non-payers and things like that, because we relied solely on the income of that for our um, for our lifestyle. We didn't either of us have jobs. And I suppose, yeah, I suppose that's really. And what is your portfolio? Are you in single? That's all Derby. No, we've got, um, it's all in Derby. It's all in one postcode. Huh. Derby. Um, we wouldn't, I don't, I wouldn't have chosen to invest in Derby, actually. But it was my, cho our choice was this is where the kids were right. so we need to be nearby so we went and we thought right this is so you know we'll, we'll invest there i have a combination of some single lets and some flats in big victorian houses converted into flats and yeah they're fabulous it's just it's just been fabulous but again it is a people business we've got a great team that go down and take care of the properties um the tenants are a great team. We tend to, again, understanding some of the people and the money issues and all of that, with the big blocks of flats, try to create a bit of community mm. so that people stay a long time because that makes a massive difference to your bottom line as well. Okay. Mm. And, and what about your investing strategies on a sort of personal level then maybe going forward or currently? You know, going forward in truth like i'm really really happy with the property portfolio that we have right and i'm not growing it right i reckon if i was 20 years younger i would think very very differently but i'm 56 now so you start to think right i've still got school fees for another four years for the youngest and then we've got a bit of uni or you know what i mean things like yeah. that but you start to think this is going to be about what happens in, you know, in, in the next 10 or 15 years when I might want to be working as hard. And what I really want to do in the interim of that is it's growing the money coaching business and the money training business because the property provides us with all the money we need to have the time to build this. That's um, a, a vehicle really been for... a good business to us, yeah. 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 Um, it cash flows really well. It's 
hugely consistent because we've built the systems like that over the years to make it hugely consistent. We don't have to have much input into it because we've got the people in place now, although it did take us a while to build all of that up. And I suppose I'm obsessive. It's not just about helping people have a better life by taking control of the money they have now, but it's just the joy of building another kind of a business, like building the property business grew me so much as a person. Mm -hmm. Having to deal with tenants who wouldn't do this, having to deal with all of these different scenarios that I had a clue how to deal with. I remember our first strategy was let's um, have all these single net flats. And what we'll do is there was a huge Polish community and Eastern European community in Derby at the time. This was way before the crash, the 2008 crash. Now, I'm a, an immigrant, so I understand what working immigrants want in a flat. They want to be able to turn up for work, be clean. You know what I mean? The basics. And my husband is the son of immigrants, so he understood that market massively. And uh, then we set it up and it was fine and it was cash flowing. And then 2008 happened and all the Polish around there just left. And we suddenly had these buildings with mortgages on them and we didn't have any tenants. But what we did do is we went out and we said, right, who are the believable people around here? And by that, we mean who is doing what we want to do? And they're not talking about it. These people are genuinely doing it. And Joe had this has this fabulous older cousin who runs Hymo's in Derby. And he taught us everything he knew about getting tenants in, who at the time were, you'd call them universal credit tenants now, but people who were on benefits, and taught us how to do that for that market. And uh, yeah, it became really successful. Okay. Mm. Um, and I suppose what I'd like to just dig into a little bit more is, um, I see people who they have bought a property. It might be momentum investing where they're taking all the equity out and they're going again and again and yeah. again. And some yeah. people, you know, they've kind of lost sight of when <clears throat> is it enough? Uh, when's enough enough? They that's not right. sure whether to, where to draw yeah. that line because they need the money that's coming in goes on to the next deal. That's right. Um, and so it's interesting how you say there that, you know, you're happy with the portfolio. It sounds like that's a vehicle to enable you to do the the money mindset coaching yeah, and everything in the right. business there. So um I think it's it's easy to get sucked into that the next deal, the next deal and pulling all the equity out. Um but I think it, it's great to hear just another angle on that that actually what are you trying to achieve, I suppose, is the the big question if you're clear on that. Some people forget that I suppose and they're just they're just in that on that rat they just created a new rat race for themselves haven't they i think it's absolutely right and i mean i'm amazed that's brilliant you asking me this because it's i've been thinking about it recently and i'm wondering whether i'm sort of i hate to say it now but slightly transitioning into the old age <laughs> rather than <laughs> the age or something but you do get to a place of you think am i doing in my life what i want to is my is my life worth you know what i mean and my life's work is it right and what is it and we didn't feel like that even five years ago i would have thought about okay let's let's build something else let's go let's get more property or or, or more stuff like that and when you're younger 
I don't know if there is a concept of enough or like for me when I was younger and living in London and I had properties when I was in London and that it was just everything was fabulous. You're just making more and more and more money. Mm. And then you do get to a place where you understand that this isn't going to end well, however, <laughs> however much money you have. And there has to be a concept of enough. Well, it, what is that though? Because I feel like I'm there at the moment where I'm thinking, okay, I can just get another deal. I can just get another deal. Yeah. Um, and and I'm, at the moment I'm thinking, what am I doing this all for again? I know. Yeah, but I, didn't, I didn't get into it to do this. So, But there is the drive to create. And yes. I totally understand it because we've at the moment, we've got a 300 year old cottage that we're renovating. And we think we'll probably, by the time we're finished it, we'll have more than tripled its value. And it's just the, the thrill of doing it. Now, we're, we're half dead from trying to get it done because <laughs> it's quite a difficult thing to do, a, a building that, that's that old. Even doing the stuff like some of the money training and going through some of the harrowing stuff with people and creating the mindsets and all of that. I sometimes think, well, I more than sometimes have thought, I have plenty of income from my property business. If I stop today, um, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't need to do any money mindset stuff. I could just stop and I could just garden and I love gardening. I could live in the cottage, you know, <laughs> the season. is there something that just drives you to create maybe? Yeah, absolutely. Some people want the next deal and I'm just wanting to do stuff with people and money mindsets. Yeah. No, it's great that you've, mm. you've had that clarity and, I suppose um, sometimes when people don't realize, do they, when they stop actually what they've got? That's true. And they look back and they think, look at what I did. Yeah. Look at what I did. And I mean, it, but isn't property an amazing, amazing business? Cause you do look back and you think, crikey, 20 years ago, I didn't understand how to do any of this. Yeah. You know? Well, definitely. That was me. My background is teaching. So I knew nothing oh. about property. Oh, um, wow. And then Rich Dad, Poor Dad came along, obviously. Sam's, uh, you know, your story, um, what you said about your mum and dad there kind of resonates with that Rich Dad, Poor Dad feel of the two different role models having different ideas about money and um, big influences in your life, I guess. I think that's right, you know. Um, And although I think, when I think of my own story, like the, the great thing about the Rich Dad, Poor Dad thing was, he learned so much constructive stuff from one side of the family and maybe not from the other. Whereas I found it, it was like, it was more puzzling. Right. Than yes. clear. Right. But, yeah, what, <laughs> You've what, worked what, it out. <laughs> they like my granny on the poor side was a communist. And she thought <laughs> like that anyone who had any wealth should be kind of shot in the streets <laughs> and all of that. And my other grandfather thought that the workers, the, well, really the ills of everything in the world were caused by the workers and poor people sponging off the state and all of this. And I was sitting there thinking, but, but like none of those things are true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and what's happening here? But it was amazing to see that my granny, the communist, and it did teach me a lot. She was such an incredibly giving, nice, intelligent woman. But because she had such a dislike of people with money or who did anything, Bless her heart, she never did anything much with her life and it was an awful waste. Whereas I could see people on the other side did things with their lives. Yeah. Because they had a different set of beliefs, I suppose. Mm. Mm. 
any so it seems like a good place to wrap up there is there anything that you want to leave us with um any pearls of wisdom do you know i don't know um i suppose over the years some of the stuff i've seen from the money work is like money doesn't change you it just makes you more of what you are and if you're a really good person you'll use money to do so much more good in the world and i suppose if you're not you'll use that to do things that aren't so good in the world um it's the great revealer isn't it mm-hmm. mm. yeah um and i suppose i just want to leave people who are struggling at the moment or they've got some anxiety i just want to leave on a positive note for them um with some hope of it doesn't you know the next three to six months next year the next five years um there's things that people can do they don't have to uh let the situation around them take over completely of course they don't and you know in truth with so many money people i've met and even from we'll say with people who've gone broke really broke there isn't a single money situation that you can't turn around i've never there, there isn't it doesn't exist and in you know the four money mindsets that book like step by step it goes on about okay how do you shift it what tiny little things do you need to do to make it one bit better and that is the most important thing isn't it is just take the next step and as long as it's in the right direction it can be the tiniest step and it can have you know the impact of that it's not just uh putting you on, on the right path it's just about feeling empowered feeling like you're yeah. making progress and that in itself can just have massive shift. So and you will make progress enough little steps as long as they're in the right direction. That's all that matters. Brilliant. Well, I think we'll leave it there for today then. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. Tell us where can people find out more about you and your book? Um, well, if you want to find me on Facebook, um, my name, there's only Joe and myself and my daughter have the, the surname Sutton Johal. So we're easy enough to find. The website is www.theformoneymindsets.com. Yeah, and on Amazon, the book is available in hard copy and Kindle. And the audio book, we've done the recording now. And I'm hoping we'll launch it at the start of October. Fantastic. So available as well. Well, do let us know as well, and uh, we'll promote that for you. Thank you so much again for your time, and we'll put links to all those in the show notes. Okay, take care for now, and uh, see you next time. Thank you ever so much. Bye. Bye. Kevin.